The Resurrection of Jesus Christ. The title of our message is Spice Girls. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like, idle tales to them and they did not believe them but Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened please join me for prayer father we thank you so much for every word of God every scripture Lord inspired by you for uh, for our correction for our instruction for our reproof for righteousness sake we thank you for all of those things and more lord as we celebrate this sunday your resurrection how appropriate we look back at the resurrection lord morning we thank you for it we want to know it lord in our hearts and experience it in our lives draw our attention to just those details that are most meaningful this morning lord the ones that luke intended the one more importantly that your holy spirit intends for us to Focus and concentrate on that we might leave this place refreshed and renewed, revived. We pray in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, Amen. It really should have been standing room only outside of the tomb. Jesus told his followers more than once that he would, and I quote, be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. The place to be was outside of that tomb waiting for the Lord to appear. It was going to be the first ever Easter sunrise service. What an opportunity to invite your unsaved family and friends to church. Instead, some disciples were preparing to head home to Emmaus. We'll see that as the chapter continues. The apostles were in hiding, and the women were hopeless as they were preparing spices to finish anointing Jesus' dead body. The first followers of Jesus had no expectation of his rising from the dead, even though they had his word. He did rise. They were reminded and they remembered his word. And then they went forward in the power of that resurrection to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Centuries later, now we are the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the ones who are to go forward in the power of the resurrection. But sometimes we find ourselves home or hiding, or helpless, hopeless, excuse me. We find ourselves literally staying home when we ought to be gathered together with the Lord and His people. Or we allow the world to become too much our home rather than living as strangers and pilgrims passing through on our way to heaven. We find ourselves hiding 
For example, when the Lord has prompted us to do or say something, but we draw back from it. More commonly, many of us experience feelings of hopelessness in the midst of our struggles and our sufferings. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're in a, what you believe to be a hopeless situation at your, in your marriage or in your physical body. And you have this sense of hopelessness, even in the light of Christ's resurrection. I don't want to be home or hiding or helpless. I know that you don't either. And so how can we overcome these things? Remember is the word. It's mentioned twice in our verses, or at least the concept. Those who were going home or hiding or hopeless were reminded and they remembered God's word. I think that we too need reminding in order to remember the resurrection. Not that we ever forget it as a true historical event or as the foundation of our faith, but we can forget its power to affect our lives on a daily basis. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, remember you are seeking the risen living Lord. And number two, remember you are speaking for the risen living Lord. Let's take a look first of all in verses one through eight where we'll see, remember you are seeking the risen living Lord. Jesus rose from the dead. Ten different appearances of our risen Lord are recorded in the Bible. Number one, he appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Number two, he appeared to the Spice Girls, to Mary and Salome and Joanna and others near the tomb. Somebody said after first service they were cinnamon spice. Get it? Sin, S-I-N. I love it. Third, he appeared to Peter alone. Fourth, he appeared to two believers on the way home to Emmaus. Fifth in order, he appeared to the ten disciples, Thomas being absent on the evening of the resurrection day. Sixth, a week later, he appeared to the disciples again, Thomas being present. Seventh, he appeared to the disciples when they were fishing at the Sea of Galilee. Eighth, he appeared to the eleven and more than five hundred believers at once in Galilee. Ninth, he appeared to James And then the apostles immediately before the ascension, as they traveled from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, and 10th, they saw Jesus ascend till a cloud received him out of their sight. In addition, Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road. Luke, who wrote both this gospel we're reading and the book of Acts, implies there may have been other resurrection appearances to other disciples and believers. Jesus' resurrection is unique. Religions may have strong ethical systems, concepts about life and afterlife. They claim various holy writings. Only Christianity has God who became human, literally died for his people and was raised bodily in power and glory. And that's why we always explain that Christianity is not a religion at all, but a relationship with a living person. It may sound simple, but... When I got saved, I realized that Jesus Christ was still alive, that he was a risen, living person, and therefore I could know him in a personal way, in a deeper way than I could know anyone else, and I could be known by him in a deeper way than by anyone else. Now, the first people to disbelieve the resurrection, surprisingly, were the believers, Luke's account begins with the women on their way to finish anointing Jesus' dead body. Verse 1, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. 
Now, the thing to note from this early morning visit to the tomb is that they had zero expectation Jesus would rise from the dead. Their intentions were loving and lovely, but they were hopeless. You have no hope in life or in afterlife if Jesus has not risen from the dead. But since he has, you should be full of hope both now and for the future. We tell others about the risen Lord to introduce them to this living Savior. We hold out the hope, the sure certainty that their sins can be forgiven and that they can have eternal life. Sometimes we need to be reminded ourselves as believers he is alive or we need to remind other believers. Times of depression, despair, discouragement, disappointment, anytime there is a sense of hopelessness in our struggles or sufferings, we have forgotten in one sense that Jesus is alive with the power to encourage us. In verse 2, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke doesn't give you all of the facts. He doesn't mention that the tomb was sealed and guarded, for example. He focuses your attention on the women and on their actions and reactions. The women, again, bless their hearts. They went out of love, but they had no plan for getting inside the tomb. They did not expect to find the stone rolled away. They did expect to find the body of Jesus. Their expectations were just the opposite of the truth. You'd be surprised at the influence of your expectations. And and that's one of the lessons here this morning. Sometimes we don't receive from the Lord because we don't expect to or we're expecting something else. The Lord promised that he would be spiritually and powerfully present whenever his church gathered together on the earth. Among our favorite scriptures as believers, the time that Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, certainly we have the presence of God in our lives if we're believers because we're indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us. But the scripture I just referenced, he's talking especially about gatherings of believers to worship him. And he reinforced it at the end of the New Testament in the book of the Revelation, where he told us that he would walk in the midst of the church when it gathered together for worship. Beautiful picture of the church as a lampstand in the book of Revelation. And Jesus says, I walk in the midst of my lampstands. And so there should be a sense of expectation that Jesus Christ is going to be spiritually present at the gatherings of believers. And if the Lord is there, he's the guest of honor. He's the most important person. He's there to speak to you, to help you, to heal you, to reveal to you something new and fresh about his love and grace and mercy so that you can go forward in life until you see him physically. If we come without that sense of expectation, afterwards we're going to have a sense that the body of Christ on earth today, which is his church, was dead because nothing extraordinary happened. And this is why so often churches are struggling to ramp up their program. To, to get all the latest things. Now, you know I'm kind of a gadget guy. I, I, uh, I'm not, I really am not that deep into it. You know, I, I'm just more than some people, I guess. And, 
And, and I, you know, I love the text messaging. People, people still ask me, what are, you, what are you text messaging? Why don't you just call them? It's just fun. Sending pictures back and forth and things like that. And, and, and show me a picture of a gadget and tell me what it can do. And I'll try and figure out if we can use it in the worship of the church. You know, I mean, I just love it. But we, and, and so I'm not against that, but we have to maintain a balance. I mean, there, you know, I think a lot of times some fellowships are going overboard because there's no, they're, they're sensing that there's no real excitement. And so they're ramping it up with the, you know, the media and the, 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 it gets louder and louder. And there's, you know, podiums that are like have lava lamps in them and, you know, they're flashing messages and stuff. And I would do that, except I couldn't trust the sound guys. They'd change the message, and I'd say, Pastor Gene is really boring today, isn't he? And you'd, oh, yeah. You know, so, and, and so, so, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, a whole, uh, there's a whole section of the church today that is given over to entertaining and entertainment so that people feel like something happened at, at church. And, and we want to be contemporary, and we want to uh, stay current, but we want to always remember it's Jesus that, that we want to talk about. It's Jesus that we want to point people's attention to. And, and when we gather together, really you don't need much more than the Bible and a few Christians and the gifts of the Spirit operating to teach and prophesy and all that so that you can have a sense of the Lord's presence. And the, the sweetest thing isn't the use of the video or the lighting or anything like that, although that can be fun. The sweetest thing is leaving knowing that the living God has spoken to you, directly to you. Your heart and eyes have been opened to something in the Word of God. Something about your life has changed forever because you've encountered someone who's alive. He's here. He is here. He is moving among us. How many of you will admit remembering that old chorus? Anybody? A couple in the back? All right. Some of you really, man... We're going to have a section later on for old Christians, old moldy Christians. We used to sing that when I was just a young Christian. He is here, he is here, he is moving among us, he is here. I'm doing a little Jimmy Swagger thing here. He is here. I'm a singing evangelist, you know. Anyway, who else sings? Chuck sings from now, every now and then, but anyway. All right, so... Do you remember that? Well, we want to take the Lord at His word and believe He is spiritually present with the power to heal and to help. So verse 4, it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. God allowed them to see the angels who had been dispatched to the tomb. There are angels all around. You need not be overly concerned about them. You should not become fascinated by them. It's enough to know that they are available to help you and that they are extremely powerful beings. How many of you collect precious moments figurines? Raise your hands. I don't want to offend you. I like them. They're kind of cool. I don't collect them, by the way, so don't get me any. But uh, they have, I think they have little precious moments angels, don't they? And aren't they so cute? You know, <laughs> angels don't look like that. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in their sleep as they encamped around Jerusalem. And I know it wasn't this big with a little I love you message on it. I mean, they're fierce warriors. They're fantastic creatures. But we don't want to get into I mean, that. We're not to be distracted by that. Just know that if God needs, uh, you know, to send an angel to help you, he will. How many of you believe with all your heart 
that there have been times when angels have moved your car out of the way of an accident. Raise your hand. I know that's happened to me. Uh, I can think of one time in particular, it was freeway Armageddon in Southern California. I mean, there were 15 crashes all around. I I didn't know. I still to this day don't know what happened, but there were crashes all around me. And I thought to myself, I'm going to die. This is it. Thank you, Lord. And the next thing I knew, I was I was past it all. My car was in a different lane. And I, I didn't even have time to have adrenaline or anything. And my wife said, hey, what just happened? I go, I don't know. You know, but I had a strong sense that my car was moved uh, through the maze of accidents that took place. And so angels are available to God. And then in verse five, then as they were afraid and bowed their face to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Angels often seem impatient with us. I wish they'd cut us some slack. After all, they're in heaven, surrounding the throne of God, seeing the glory of God. They understand all of these things. And then they get impatient when we don't understand because we're walking by faith and not by sight in this sin-sick world. And so cut us some slack, will you? Instead, they're striking people dumb and, you know, they're saying, oh, you don't believe me? You're not going to be able to talk until your baby's born. How's that? You know, and come on. Let's have a little compassion on the human race here. Now, these angels asked a great probing question, and it's just as probing today. It's probing for both believers and for unbelievers. Unbelievers are always seeking the living among the dead. Always seeking the living among the dead. By definition, as an unbeliever, you're seeking the living among the dead. Here's what I mean. You're looking for wisdom and guidance, but you're looking to men who are either already dead, who've written books and have philosophies and religions, or men who are spiritually dead and have given you philosophies and religions. If you're looking anywhere other than to Jesus Christ and to God and to the Bible, you are seeking life among the dead. Now, I don't care how smart these dead guys are. They're dead and none of them is risen from the dead to prove that what they believe is true. And so do you want to stake your whole future, your afterlife, your life and your afterlife on what L. Ron Hubbard said? He couldn't even write good science fiction, let alone Scientology. But Tom Cruise, whoa, Tom Cruise believes in Scientology. Okay. So what? Whoop-dee-doo, as we used to say. But anyway, so it's a dead thing. And so all unbelievers, by definition, are looking for the living. They're looking for life among the dead. Believers can seek the living Lord among the dead in a variety of ways. One is when we become rigid, rule-oriented, and ritualistic in our approach to God. Instead of enjoying a personal relationship with the risen Lord, we make up these things to put a distance between us and the Lord. For example, we invent priesthoods and practices that would keep him on the cross. Can't really approach God unless you go through this person. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a strange sense of, 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 I don't even know what it is, but, but we, we want to be distant from God when he's torn the veil we saw last week and made the way into his presence open to us. And so sometimes we do seek the living Lord among the dead. I can't resist quoting Dr. H.A. Ironside for your consideration. Here's the quote. 
He says, we are not preaching the gospel of a dead Christ, but of a living Christ who sits exalted at the Father's right hand and is living to save all who put their trust in Him. That is why those of us who really know the gospel never have any crucifixes around our churches or in our homes. The crucifix represents a dead Christ hanging languid on a cross of shame. We are not pointing men to a dead Christ. We are preaching a living Christ. He lives exalted at God's right hand and he saves to the uttermost all who come to God by him. Amen. Amen. Now, the angels continued their Easter sermon, and it's a masterful one. Verse six. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. They had forgotten these clear and simple words. There are always a variety of reasons we forget or seem to ignore the clear and simple words of God. Sin, selfishness, suffering, sadness, busyness and business, apathy and anguish. The list is somewhat endless. Identifying why I forget God's word can be important, but regardless the reason, the solution to it is always the same. It's in verse 8. They remembered his words. They were reminded and they remembered. And so we must constantly be reminded of God's word. I need a daily strategy of being reminded of reading God's word, of meditating upon it, of memorizing it, of hearing it taught. I have to I have to get up every day and think I have to be reminded of the things I already know to be true. You know, a lot of times we're seeking new knowledge and there's nothing wrong with growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, learning new things, increasing our understanding. But we can't neglect being reminded of the things that we already know because we quickly forget them or we ignore them when we get into our times of hopelessness and stress and all of that. And so we need to be reminded. And then we must remember the words. They said, remember the words he spoke. We want to remember the exact inspired words in God's Bible. Whatever I hear from others, I must test by the Bible. Whatever I think God says to me through his word or by prophecy or in a vision or in a dream, it still needs to be tested by what is written. You know, sometimes as Christians, we we're talking and, and, and a person says, well, God told me this. Oh, what are you supposed to say? I mean, no, he didn't. I mean, we, we do that as well. Well, God told me to do this. God told me to say this. Well, if God told you, then if you go against that, you know, if you're the other person, then then you feel like you're disobeying God. But. You know, you have to test stuff. I don't know what God tells me. You know, young men in college, go. There, you know, some of you ladies will attest to this. Everybody comes up and says, God told me I was going to marry you. No, he didn't. Well, he didn't tell me. Get away from me, please. You know, I mean, God and, and we, you know, we, we throw around the name of God as if, you know, you need to test these things by the written word of God. I'm. Attracted to you. I feel prompted to marry you. Let's pray about it. I don't need to pray about it. But anyway, you know, it's that kind of a thing. And so it's we want the words themselves, the exact inspired words, not what we think they say, but what they actually say. Anytime we are home or hiding or especially hopeless, we have forgotten that the power of the resurrection is available to us. Simply put, 
The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is always available to you to enable you to obey the word of God. You seek the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he desires to be found by you. In verses 9 through 12, remember you are speaking for the risen living Lord. Sometimes in life you speak from a position of weakness, sometimes a position of strength. In the Christian life, you are always enabled to speak from an authoritative position of strength because Jesus is alive, he's in control, and he's coming back. The ladies literally couldn't wait to tell the boys back in hiding. And so in verse 9, then they returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Do you remember when you first got saved? You had to tell somebody. You couldn't wait to tell somebody. Jesus was alive. And so were you for the first time in your life. You realize that you had been spiritually dead, but you were now spiritually alive. And you couldn't wait to tell others. And you couldn't believe it when they didn't believe you. And they were skeptical about what happened in your life. Now the apostles... Those guys who had been most with Jesus, they were the biggest skeptics. Listen to what Luke said about them. Verse 11, their words seemed to them, to the apostles, like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Now, we look back at this as the greatest news of all time. But the apostles initially did not believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Idle tales can be translated nonsense. Or it made no sense to them that Jesus was alive. They couldn't compute it. It it didn't fit into their way of thinking. Unbelievers still think the resurrection of Jesus is nonsense. They have their own theories on what happened to the body of Jesus. None of those theories make any sense. They are themselves nonsense. My favorite unbeliever theory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to explain it away is literally called the swoon theory, S-W-O-O-N. It's a word we don't use very often. It means that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He swooned. He appeared to die. And so there was Jesus on the cross after all of the torment and agony that his body went through. He dismissed his spirit. He thought he died, but he didn't really die. And the the Roman soldiers who knew a dead man when they saw one pierced his side and out came blood and water, but he still wasn't really dead. But they thought he was dead and that's why they didn't break his legs. And then Joseph of Arimathea got a hold of his body and Joseph thought he was dead. He couldn't find any signs of life. And he wrapped him up in grave clothes that weighed about a hundred pounds with the spices and different things that they had at that time. Wrapped him all the way up. Not didn't leave an air hole in case he was really alive. And then they put him in the tomb and they sealed the tomb. And there Jesus was not really dead, but mostly dead. (laughs) And sometime during that period of, of, you know, the third, you know, a couple of days, three days, but part of one day, all of the next and part of the next. Sometime during that period of time, Jesus laying there kind of in a mummy cocoon. Revived. Came to himself. And without his Kershaw or anything like that, he was able to cut himself out of those grave clothes. Crawl to the door 
which was a rock that the women couldn't figure out how they were going to roll away, rolled the door out of the way, overpowered the Roman guards. Maybe just freaked them out. I don't know. But he overpowered them, crawled off into the night, finally appeared to his disciples, bloodied and beaten and half dead, naked, and said, I just didn't really die. I just swooned. But man, would this be a great religion? People believe that. That's a theory. That is one prevalent theory among these guys that sit on TV smiling like, I know more than you do. (laughs) There is no resurrection. Jesus just swooned. What an idiot. (laughs) Takes more faith to believe that. Their theories are harder to believe than the resurrection. Do sincere believers ever consider the resurrection as making no sense? Well, maybe in this way, I think we can be somewhat hesitant to speak for the risen living Lord because we think others will believe us to be naive or uninformed. A lot of times we are struggling to add something to the simplicity of the word of God. People have problems, difficulties, struggles, whatever you want to call it, and we want to point them to Jesus Christ, to the risen Lord. And they look at you like, is that all you've got? Yeah, that's it. Just a guy who raised from the dead, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, who created and controls the universe, who's coming back to rule in power and glory. That's my best shot, buddy. But if you want some psychology, you want some medicine, uh, you want some of the world's philosophy, I can add a dash of that. Or, you know, we can give you a little bit of that so that you think I'm a little bit smarter. And and we need to fight this as Christians. You know, we, we all people look at you sometimes with a blank look like, how can that be beneficial? And we have forgotten what an amazing thing it is that Jesus Christ is alive. And, and, and it, it once a person understands that uh, everything else just falls into the background. Uh, you know, you get saved and you think, man, I don't I don't even really care if I die now because I'm ready to die. In fact, I'd rather die. But Lord, if you want me to stick around and go through these troubles, I'll do that. Seems easy with your help. And so that's what we have. Verse 12, Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, at this point, Peter was a believer with no power in his life. All that would change, however, on the day of Pentecost, the Lord would send his Holy Spirit to indwell and to come upon his followers. Not only did they believe the resurrection afterward, it became the cornerstone of their preaching. You are a believer who can have power in your life to speak for the risen living Lord. It's something that you and I need to be constantly reminded of. The reminding and our remembering seem to refresh us and revive us to go forward with a renewed vigor to share the Lord with others. You know, I first got saved. I could hardly make it through the week until Sunday. Sunday, I'd go to church. And there would be such an excitement and an enthusiasm. When I look back, I mean, we were singing songs like, He is here. He is here. I mean, they were like funeral dirges, really. There was just worship and the word. And that was it. But it was so, I mean, Jesus was there. And his people were there. 
And then I'd get all pumped up, all excited, go back out into the work world and, and share my faith. And, you know, about Wednesday, I would start to, man, I'm just getting beat up by the devil out here. I don't know if I'm going to make it till Sunday. Oh, cassette tapes, radio ministries, you know, and stuff. And I just get enough kind of, it's kind of like an IV, all of that stuff that's not your church. It's like being on IV fluids until you can get back, you know, into your, and then, oh, then Sunday, he is here. He is here. He is working among us. It was fantastic. I should come to church expecting to encounter Jesus. He is spiritually present whenever his people are gathered together on earth. Now, one of the ways I know I am expecting to encounter him is my enthusiasm to be at the gatherings of the church. And it's, it, it, I can say this to you because you're here. Don't you hate it when people look at you and say, you should come to church more often. You're thinking, like now, like today. I mean, you're here, but just in general, you think, well, how do I know if I have this enthusiasm? Well, one way is that you want to be there. Look at it this way. Knowing what you know, would you have been at the tomb waiting for the Lord to appear? Now, from the, you're here. It's, it's whatever year it is. It's 2005, right? Going on 2006. I have a bad short-term memory. But uh, anyway, there's a joke in there, but you didn't get it. Because it's not funny. But anyway, uh, you're here to suppose they could transport you back in time. You could be there just as Jesus Christ gave up his spirit. What would you do? Hey, I would go hang out at the tomb. I would just hang out there. I'd camp out there. Because, you know, I'm not really sure when the third day was. Everybody argues about, you know, when was it Thursday was he crucified? Was it Friday? Was it part of two days and one day? You know, but I just say, hey, I know he's going to rise from the dead. I have to be there when it happens. I want to see it happen. And I would just I'd just be there. I'd be I'd hang out. And uh, so would you. It's way better than waiting for, you know, your favorite movie. You know, these people that camp out to watch. There's people camping out. Cooking little, you know, pork and beans. Yeah, Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> hey, believe me, I was just at Disneyland and I waited for a lot of... I waited to watch the fireworks. I waited to watch the electrical parade. I waited to get in. I waited to get out. <laughs> I, I, I would hope that I'd be waiting at the tomb because I know I would see the risen, living Lord Jesus Christ. So... It is 2006, and Jesus said, I am there. Whenever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in their midst. I walk down the aisles of your church. You don't see me except by faith, but I'm there. Where, would you ever, where else would you want to be? Now, can you always be at church? Can you be at every meeting of the church? No, this isn't a rebuke. It's not even an exhortation. It's a way of gauging my enthusiasm. If I don't want to be where Jesus is risen from the dead, I have a problem. And I need to get in touch with what it is. What am I hiding? Why do I want to be at home? What hopelessness is holding me back? If you're not saved, there's an all-too-familiar cliche that fits your situation. Get a life. Only in your case, get a spiritual life. You were born dead in your sins. You're physically alive, soulishly active, but you're spiritually dead. You have no life or afterlife until you meet the risen, living Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Join me for a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for these things. They are precious, Lord. We hold them in our hearts as true. But more than just truths of your word, they're they're the substance of our life. They're the things that we live and breathe and walk in, Lord. And so we thank you for them. I pray that we would have a a fresh sense of your rising from the dead and of the power that's available to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.